It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's going to be a big show. We're going to be joined by Michael Waltz in a matter of moments and Rich Lowry at the bottom of the hour. The headline is certainly enticing. His latest column, Why Trump Didn't Have a Haitian Migrant Crisis. It's not by coincidence. We know how often uh, that the president likes to blame circumstances. Well, it's the season. It's climate change. Uh, there's a problem. There's a Haitian coup. Why is it? It is called policies. You might not like them, but they're policies. And it is one of the many man-made disasters by one man, Joe Biden, that we're experiencing right now, forced to deal with. And I wish I wasn't dealing with it. Uh, Meanwhile, today, he does have a few things to do. He convenes a virtual COVID summit on the margins of the uh, the, on the margins of the United Nations General Assembly. And uh, he will also meet with members of the House and Senate to discuss the Bipartisan Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, and his Build Back Better uh, better Agenda, which is beyond in critical condition. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Was that your laptop? For real, I don't know. I know, but But you know that's... I really don't know if the answer is. So could have been yours. Of course, certainly. There could be a laptop out there that was stolen from me. There could be that I was hacked. It could be that there was the that it was Russian intelligence. It could be that it was stolen from me. And it could be authentic. And what about the laptop itself? What about the contents in it? It turns out, we told you so. Politico confirms what we all knew a year ago. Hunter Biden's laptop was authentic and real. So were the emails. The president's role and references in it are authentic, presents disturbing links to foreign policy, and perhaps he is indeed compromised. But why are we getting this authentication now? Because the election is over, why Dems and GOPers should be alarmed. Number two. We've ended 20 years of conflict in Afghanistan. And as we close this period of relentless war, we're opening a new era of relentless diplomacy. Government by and for the people is still the best way to deliver for all of our people. What an embarrassment this speech was. Best exemplified with that cut. Biden uh, pleaded climate change first. It's all about climate diplomacy second and refuses to mention China and Russia as they are our chief enemies. Can we say weak? I will tell you the speech we should have given the vision America should have. Number one. What we saw was staggering. Hundreds of migrants at a time just streaming in from Ciudad Acuna, walking across the river, and just illegally entering the United States without any resistance from our federal government whatsoever. They crowded on the shore in huge masses. We watched it for five, six hours straight. Thousands coming in. It's Bill Malusian on the border. Uh, border blows up. The numbers are overwhelming. Shanty towns in Texas are forming in two major uprisings as Haitians erupt, uh, injuring ICE agents, a pilot, and a bus driver. Yep, the president and the secretaries refuse to act as if 600,000 released into the interior of the country is okay with us. It is not. Joining me now is Congressman Michael Walls. Congressman, your reaction to the images we've been watching since really last Wednesday under that bridge in the Rio Grande Valley in Texas. Yeah, look, Brian, I think about that in the context of the 5,000 ISIS, Al-Qaeda, 
uh, and uh, Taliban prisoners that were let out of Bagram uh, that clearly our borders wide open. Uh, and, uh, and this administration continues to do something between Jack and squat uh, about it. Um, but I have a lot of, you know, one of, I have a lot of questions. <laughs> like, number one, a lot of those Haitians were legal permanent residents in uh, South Central America. Yeah. But now they're being now they're being returned to Haiti. Uh, so they're they've kind of been double screwed. They were they were sold by the smugglers that they just that they could get their toe into the United States. They'd be released in the interior. A lot of them are. Um, uh, but on the other hand, a lot of them are being sent back. And why is why is the administration just now deciding to do this with the Haitians in particular? Um, it, it, who knows? I mean, this this border policy is so incoherent. But you know what, Brian, I do want to say at the same time. For all of those people that say this country on the left is so misogynist and awful, racist, uh, colonialist, racist, it sure doesn't seem like the rest of the world got that message. Uh, you had people in Afghanistan willing to cling to the side of a jet. They were so desperate to come here. Uh, and you have these poor people sitting in 110 degrees under a bridge, uh, pregnant. Uh, with their families. They're so desperate to come here. So it, it breaks my heart, but it's infuriating at the same time, which is pretty much how I feel about anything this administration's doing right now. It's unbelievable what's happening, and he acts like these are circumstances beyond his control, like a hurricane or a tornado. It's just the opposite. Yeah. It's his policies. Your reaction to the Bob Woodward book when it seems the Secretary of Defense, the Secretary of State, and uh, General Milley himself um, he, they all came out and told President Biden not to do it. This book was written before he actually pulled out, but they all told him. So for people yep. who think, and I'll tell you, I'm not going to alleviate them for blame. They should have found a way to convince him, like General Petraeus and others have done in the past. But for those people yep. who think that this was a collective decision, that's what Joe Biden would have you think. That was not the case. Well, no, he's he's flat out lied and said multiple times said, well, that was what the Pentagon told him to do. And it was a consensus of the Joint Chiefs. Uh, number one. Number two, I want to say for the record, look, I was uh, in, under the Trump administration as well. You know this, Brian. I publicly disagreed with that Doha agreement. The Taliban were never serious about peace. They were always using it to buy time for power. But here's what Trump did before he left office. He listened. They came to him and said the Taliban have not entered into serious negotiations. They refuse to enter into a ceasefire. And the biggest thing is they refuse to denounce al-Qaeda. The Taliban equals al-Qaeda. The current head of al-Qaeda has sworn allegiance to the current head of the Taliban. And the intelligence was clear all along, last administration and this one, that al-Qaeda fully intends to come roaring back and to hit the West again if given the chance. Well, guess what? Now they have a terrorist super state, an army's worth of equipment, an international airport to fly anyone anywhere they want, and some of the world's most notorious terrorists in charge. This guy, Siraj Haqqani, Brian, I've launched missions personally to try to kill him twice. He's like he's a mix of John Gotti and, uh, and Charles Manson. I mean, he is the worst of the worst, and that's who we have uh, at the helm of, uh, of, a, of a super state. Uh, it, it's it's really incredible, but it's also at the same time, Brian. There are Americans still there, saying hundreds more 
Uh, and our allies are being hunted down right now as we speak. They're using the biometric databases that we left behind. I guess we couldn't put in kind of malware or kill switch in them. Uh, and they're going door to door and killing our allies. Unbelievable. I want you to hear what the president said about Afghanistan. We've ended 20 years of conflict in Afghanistan. And as we close this period of relentless war, we're opening a new era of relentless diplomacy, of using the power of our development aid to invest in new ways of lifting people up around the world, of renewing and defending democracy, of proving that no matter how challenging or how complex the problems we're going to face, government by and for the people is still the best way to deliver for all of our people. Is there a laugh track on that, these, these remarks? <laughs> it's, just, it, 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 it's just empty words. It's, it's happy talk. And the thing is now, the whole world knows it, our, and, our, and our allies uh, in particular know it, and our adversaries know it. But let's just real quick look at this human rights record just in, in, uh, in eight months. We have millions of Uyghurs in China in concentration camps with women facing forced sterilization and abortion. We have women, migrant women, coming uh, to our border. 30 to 40 percent actually into human trafficking. Afghan women who now can no longer go to school, no longer go to work, can't even leave the house without a man uh, standing next to them and are being beaten if they dare to protest. So this, you know, this administration's record on human rights is abysmal. Uh, you know, and to hear him kind of quote our Constitution when the, con you know, the Constitution of Afghanistan was democratically developed, uh, but they're now dealing uh, with terrorists uh, who overthrew that Constitution in a violent coup. Uh, and meanwhile, he's trying to make nice with Xi, who's the world's largest dictator in China, that openly talks about replacing the American dream with the China dream. I mean, it's just a joke, and the whole world sees it. And it, it's, it, it just makes you embarrassed uh, to, to see him spewing this nonsense on the world stage. Right. And they say that, well, Trump was being laughed at uh, last year. I think that one of the anchors on MSNBC was saying, Andrea Mitchell, what's human being laughed at? You can still laugh all you want. He was uh, America first, but not America alone. Our allies, uh, we weren't pulling out of Afghanistan without even telling our allies they were in step uh, along the way. Wouldn't have done it like this. Didn't alienate France the way he did. At least he communicated with people. And he certainly didn't have that relationship better with Mexico, which is part of the reason we did not have the problem at the border. How could you write a speech to the United Nations and not bring up that China and the pandemic and has not been candid about right. how this started, nor allowing investigations uh, to take place where they'd be transparent? How could you not call them out for that, let alone leave their name out of your speech? You know, hundreds of thousands of dead Americans, millions around the world, lives and economies and businesses ruined. And this Chinese communist regime to this day is not being honest with the world, is covering it up. Uh, uh, we all know, anybody with an ounce of common sense, uh, unless you're a Fauci or those who benefited from gain-of-function research, uh, knows that this came <laughs> from that lab, uh, the epicenter of a global pandemic uh, where a lab is conducting gain-of-function research uh, on that type of coronavirus. It's either the world's biggest coincidence um, 
uh, or we know what happened. And, and you're right, it's shameful. But that's the kind of kowtowing, Brian, from the top on down. Blinken just had a tweet that he deleted that said, I stand with Hong Kong. Uh, and we're seeing it in Wall Street. We're seeing it in our sports. We're seeing it in Hollywood. Uh, they're all so addicted to that dollar. And I'm a capitalist. I want people to make money all day long, but not at the expense of our national security. And, and China knows how to leverage it. It's our money, a half a trillion dollar trade deficit. Our money flows into China and then they turn right around and loan it back to us uh, to fund our deficit and then use it for their military buildup, Belt and Road, uh, and, and on down the list. And I'm telling you, Hunter Biden's laptop is going to prove that that family uh, is compromised. Hunter Biden is an equity holder in the Chinese nuclear suppliers group right now as we speak, which is blacklisted for trying to steal American nuclear technology. Uh, it, it, we've only seen the tip of the iceberg. But listen, America is awash in Chinese money, and it's in all of our institutions, in particular our political institution. And so they just stay silent on China, China's abuses so they can continue to get their next quarterly earnings. Uh, a couple of things real quick. We have yeah. just decided to buy drones from China, despite a federal law enforcement agency are purchasing surveillance drones from a Chinese company that the Pentagon has right. deemed a potential national security threat. That, according to Axios. Is that indeed true? Why would we do that? So a couple of reasons. One, China has uh, cornered the market. They've made it cheap. Uh, they've made it easy. And you still have a level of just ignorance or laziness across our procurement system. It's not just drones. It's, you know, America no longer produces penicillin. Uh, they control 90 percent of our pharmaceuticals. The left talks about going to a green economy. Well, guess who controls the raw materials for batteries? China does. 90% of the world's lithium and critical rare earths. Uh, so, so what they've done is they've created deliberately dependencies from drones to drugs to uh, critical minerals for electronics uh, across the board. And rather than the U.S. government saying, no, we're going to buy in America, we're going to create a demand for an American market, uh, even if we have to pay a little more because we don't use slave labor, they, they go the lazy and easy route. And meanwhile, we now have uh, Chinese components and their ability to surveil in the FBI and the Department of Justice and law enforcement drones. It's unbelievable. That's right. We got the FBI just bought 19 of them. Unbelievable. Lastly, real quick, the Iron Dome. What did yeah. the squad do to the Iron Dome? How could they, this small group of Democrats, deny a billion dollars to Israel's Iron Dome missile system? Well, Brian, you know, I'm not calling them the squad. They're the Hamas caucus. Uh, because uh, they're aiding and abetting terrorism. And I want everyone to be clear. I've seen the Iron Dome in person uh, in Israel. It's a defensive system. That thing does not touch uh, a hair on any Palestinian's head. Uh, all it does is shoot down rockets that Hamas is launching onto Israeli cities. It saves lives. Uh, every city, every school, every public space, every home in Israel has bunkers uh, that they often have minutes to get to when these rockets are launched and the alarm goes off. But for the Iron Dome, you would have tens of thousands of uh, dead Israelis. And the, and the progressives demand that, that it be stripped out. Uh, it's, it's unbelievable, and it's why they're the Hamas caucus. Congressman Michael Waltz, House Armed Services Committee. Michael, uh, when my book comes out uh, December 3rd, I will be in your district uh, in uh, Ponte Vedra Beach. I want you there, okay? 
All right. See you there, Brian. Go get him. Congressman Michael Walsh. With bottom of the hour, Rich Lowry. We'll expand on both these topics. And when we come back, uh, your calls, 1-866-408-7669. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first, only on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. There was no mention whatsoever of China or Russia. China was referenced in indirect ways. So he was sort of putting out these non-confrontational messages. We don't want a new Cold War. Uh, It was sort of trying to lower the temperature. He's got a real problem with with the China strategy that he's trying to pursue right now. It was this idea that we can compete and confront China in all these areas where we need to, like trade, but we'll also cooperate with them on climate change. That's not how China likes to operate. And China sent a very clear message to Biden. If you keep talking to us about the genocide in Xinjiang, we're not going to be sitting down with John Kerry. We're going to be humiliating him when he comes over here. That's probably one of the biggest uh, strategic challenges they face. I mean, who cares? Uh, Climate change. China's not going to do it means anything we do is going to be totally nullified. And John Kerry getting humiliated makes me feel good. And by the way, Jonathan Swan, again, uh, on special report last night, is 100 percent correct. They've already done it. John Kerry flies to China and they make him do a with a uh, they make him do a Zoom call with a deputy secretary instead of letting him have a one on one from a hotel room. So we could have done that anywhere. More actually, we're damaging the world more by using jet fuel by flying around the country on our dime. So, meanwhile, they met one on one with the Taliban, but they wouldn't meet with John Kerry. And I give we have to never stop condemning China for doing that, never stop uh, condemning China for breaking an international treaty and steamrolling Hong Kong, or jailing all the protesters who wanted them to live up. Uh, to their pledge of an independent Hong Kong Kong as part of China, but independent of China, and that no longer exists. And we have to stand for something. That speech was an embarrassment. And uh, and I just, I wish it was different. I wish he made a speech. We could talk about his actions not backing it up, but his actions are terrible. Speech was worse. Hey, Rich Lowry next. He'll talk about why Trump didn't have a Haitian migrant crisis. You'll be fascinated to find that out from the National Review. You'll listen to Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't... A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. It's hard to believe that this camp over my shoulder is actually in the United States. It's more reminiscent of somewhere from the third world. And law enforcement out here is on record saying that. We'll give you a live look at it right now. Just take a look at last check sources telling me still about 8,600 people living in here. Look at the conditions. You can see many of them have pulled plants, sticks, whatever they can find to create some sort of structure here to get out of that blistering hot sun as they're waiting to be processed. Law enforcement sources saying as of earlier this morning, there were at least 332 women in this camp who are pregnant. Many of these migrants just sitting, waiting, and hoping that they'll have a chance to be released into the United States. It is a mess on the southern border, and that's Bill Malusian, who was told to take your drown down, drone down on uh, the, by the FAA on Friday. So he took a boat and then he took a helicopter and provide the video that Americans need to see. Not because of anyone's political pro, pro, peril, 
but because of our security. And joining us now to discuss this, Rich Lowry. Rich, perfect time to write the column you did. I'm sure it's not a coincidence on the National Review. Why Trump didn't have a Haitian migrant crisis. Most of these men and women and families are Haitian. Why now? Well, because they've been looking and they, they've seen that families are getting in. So it just creates this, this hope that they can get into, and a lot of them are. The indications are we're flying single adult males back to Haiti, but otherwise we're releasing family units. And every single one of those family units, they have a cell phone. They're probably on, you know, have a Facebook account, and they let people know, hey, we made it, which creates the incentive for more people to come. So th- this is an unbelievable situation. I think it's an indelible image that is going to stand for, for years for Biden's failures at the border. Well, first off, why didn't Trump have this problem? And what is what are the challenges of Haitians as opposed to Guatemalans or Brazilians or Mexicans? Yeah. So the, first of all, they were really focused on it and they realized there was enormous pent up demand of Haitians to come here. And then a lot were already in South America, you know, a, a bus ride away, a long, maybe harrowing bus ride, but a bus ride. And th- they didn't want people to start to get in because, as we just discussed, once they get in, they spread the word and more, more come. So they really focused on it and they really worked with Haiti because the, the thing is, Mexico doesn't want ha- Haitians, Guatemala doesn't want Haitians, Haitians don't speak. Spanish. They they don't think they're going to assimilate. They're going to be hard to send back to Haiti if that's what you want to do. So they're not going to take them. So the only alternative was Haiti. And the Trump folks worked very closely with the Haitians just to make sure that they would take back any Haitian illegal immigrant showing up in the United States. But this was an enormous effort. They had daily calls about this. They'd uh, haggle with the Haitians over every manifest of every plane going back. So it just had to be a major focus. And if you take your eye off the ball, or you don't really care, what you get is what we're seeing at the border now. So they were ahead of it. They were aggressive in stopping it, and they had to be first. One thing you say in your column, you say that uh, there's, uh, they became pretty clear that whatever happened would ripple through other nations. So if you let 100 in, word would get back to Guatemala. It would get back to uh, Honduras. They're letting people in. This is where you do it. This is where you go. And it would become a storm. That became clear. But during the Trump years, there was no facility that was overrun. Yeah, so during the pandemic, they were very proud of this. There was no overcrowding in any facility. No facility was overtopped. And they just kept kept a lid on it. And it's because they had this suite of policies, remain in Mexico, the asylum agreements with the Northern Triangle countries, Title 42, which – we heard was inhumane and terrible, but Biden's still using because it's like the only tool he has now after throwing throwing away the others. And it was just a, a real a real focus. And they they kept a handle on it. And immediately when Biden was elected, even when Biden was ahead in the polls and people were saying he's going to win last year, the, the message started going south of the border. Well, you can come. And the numbers started ticking up. And then it's become this this real flood because they, they let in unaccompanied minors. They let in family units. And people know I mean, these are desperate people. But they're not stupid. And if they if they think they got a, a, a pretty good shot, they're going to they're going to try. And you, you have a situation that's running out of control, which has really been doing all year long. But this camp is really the exclamation point on the dynamic. Richard, you know, it's so hard to get the rest of the media to pay attention to this. Do you think the American people care about this? Or do you think just Republicans care about this? 
I think it's hurting Biden more broadly. Uh, his numbers on immigration have been terrible all year long. I think the border and Afghanistan, people understand these are self-inflicted wounds, didn't have to happen this way. Even if, you know, you, you don't have the, the policy I would prefer on the border on Afghanistan, you don't have to be this inept and uh, blatantly incompetent. And I think it's hallowing, hallowing out his presidency. I think, you know, we had this poll from Iowa yesterday, 31 percent approval in Iowa. Iowa's a Republican-leaning state, but it's not Alabama. And I, I, just, I just think he's in a really bad place. And there are a lot of things driving it, but the main things are the border and Afghanistan and a sense that things are out of control. So Mayorkas, according to Tom Homan, Mayorkas was a deputy uh, to Jay Johnson and understands this process. He thought Jay Johnson really tried to solve this problem within the policies of Barack Obama. Whether you like it or not, they all recognize the problem, and President Obama would expel people. So yeah. President Biden just doesn't want to talk about anything to do with the border, won't go. The vice president won't do her job. So Mayorkas goes up to Capitol Hill to try to explain himself. Listen to this, cut 13. Do you bear responsibility for the crisis in Del Rio, yes or no? Senator, the, um, the smuggling organizations. Yes or no, Mr. Secretary. Do you bear responsibility for the humanitarian crisis in Del Rio? How many people have been returned? How many people are being detained? How many people have been dispersed to all points around America? Uh, Senator, I would be pleased to provide you with that data. I want them now. Uh, Why don't you have that information now? Uh, Senator, I do not have that data. Why not? Me. Why don't you have that basic information? You hear the tone, and he's lying. Because Bill Malusian, our reporter on the ground, went and found out by going to the officials. And they said there's 6,728 family unions, uh, which means they're all getting to stay, by the way. 1,579 single males, 493 single females. And get this, there are 332 husband and wife combinations. If Bill Malusian can get that, but he went out and had to go face-to-face with uh, Border Patrol officials, how easy would it have been for Mayorkas to get that, Rich? Yeah, no, and he just he just doesn't want to say it. They don't want to admit what's going on, and this this is the the base of their whole approach is to try to ignore it and say the border's closed. So he goes down there on Monday, say the border's closed when people are walking back and forth unimpeded across the Rio Grande, which is an international border, and they have to sit in line and wait to get apprehended because there's no one actually apprehending them. They have to stand in line to get apprehended, and he says the border's closed. You can't come. We're sending you back, but a lot of people are getting in, and the. The, the that's the the most important message. It doesn't matter what he says. Doesn't matter what Kamala, Kamala Harris says. Doesn't matter what the spin is. If the reality is people are coming illegally and getting into the country, that word will spread and keep this this historic surge of illegal immigration going. So the one thing that I found heartening, even when things were at their worst at the border, Trump was trying to fix it. He was say he says this is terrible. I'm going to fire this guy. I'm going to move this guy out. I'm going to mm-hmm. bring the defense department in. I'm going to build a wall. The courts are going to stop me. I'm going to try to build it anyway. We're going to start again. So you get the sense that at least if somebody's addressing yeah. a problem, you could sleep at night. But I personally yeah, and he, and could he not care about it. He was outraged yeah. about it. His head was exploding, you know, in 2019 when he had these terrible numbers. And you're right, it was an iterative process. There was trial and error. A lot of things didn't work or was a mistake uh, or a false start. But then they got a system that worked, and they handed it over to the next guy. And all he needed to do was keep it in place, and he wouldn't do it. Rich, now, in the big picture, uh, let's look at what President Biden's dealing with domestically. 
And that is a $3.5 trillion uh, reconciliation package. He just needs his party to vote for it, and they're not. And well, it looks like Cinema and Manchin are holding the line, and others might join them. In the House, they will not pass the bipartisan $1.2 trillion if they don't get the 3.5. So the left wing in the House says, forget it. I'm not touching the 1.2 until you pass 3.5. The moderates are saying, I'm not touching 3.5 until I get the 1.2. So it's a, this, is not, this is not rumor. This is not whispers. This is fact. Last week, he did retail politics. He brought in Cinema and Manchin separately. He was unable to move them. Where are we now? So it's a, it's a Mexican standoff. I, I think, I don't know, Pelosi, I think she has to bring up the bipartisan bill, and I think it might be defeated by progressives. That doesn't mean it's dead forever, but I think that might be another salvo in this, this drama. And then, and then they got to try to figure out a way to revive them. I, I just think the consequences would be so devastating of both of these bills going down that eventually both sides will step back from the brink. But I don't think there's any way he's getting 3.5. I think it's going to be more like 1.5. Still too much money for my, my taste. But um, there's a chance, you know, 15, 20 percent chance, maybe getting higher, that both go down. If that happens, really the floor could drop out, the bottom could drop out of his presidency. And the party. But here's the compelling thing. You know, you, there were 19 Republican senators that signed on to the $1.2 trillion bipartisan deal. Could Nancy Pelosi today be calling Republicans for the first time in her career and asking the so-called moderates in the House to vote for this and save her from her own left wing? Yes. So we ran an editorial about this earlier in the week. House Republicans should not vote for this bill. They should not bail out Pelosi and Biden. And if the the problem Pelosi has, even if there's some, I think there are like two now House Republicans who are saying they're still going to vote for it. But uh, the problem she has is the revolt on her side might be much wider than just the squad. You know, if you lose five Democrats, pick up you know two or three Republicans, maybe you can squeak through. You lose 40 Democrats in the Progressive Caucus, and it, n- nothing's saving you. And I. I I think that's that's maybe the likelier scenario at the moment. So I, I, I don't think Republicans, even if they wanted to, will be able to bail her out if there's a mass revolt on the left. So very interesting. Are you against the bipartisan bill? I am. Why? I, I think we spend plenty on roads and bridges. And this is just a screwy way to go about it. Come up with a big number and then say, OK, we'll spend that much. Figure out what are the, the really worthy projects around the country that are investments that would make sense over time and then add up how much those cost and then spend that much if that's if you want more infrastructure spending. So uh, I, I oppose, oppose both these bills. So Rich Lowry is our guest, National Review. Rich, I want you to hear what Harold Ford's recommendation was, which was echoed later, I'm sure unrelated, by Chris Coons. I think Democrats uh, in the Congress have to remember that for 40 years, Democrats controlled the Congress until 94. Newt Gingrich and Republicans brought in a revolution. And over the last 28 years, the country has enamored themselves with wanting results. And they've changed the majority four times. Democrats are in the majority now. Democrats should take the victory that's in front of them. It's time to reset here. I listen to liberals. I listen to the moderates. But more importantly, I listen to the country. Joe Biden was elected to unify the country and help stabilize and bring us around an agenda that could advance the country. Democrats would be good to look to that. And once you get a victory, then you figure out the the next victory. 
So he's saying go for the 1.2 and sober up AOC and company. And yeah, that's I think a guy that political terms yeah. is a real shrewd observer, but that's absolutely right. You know, you got a 1.2 infra- trillion infrastructure bill, which is a lot of money. Take it, and then you know you're not going to get everything you want in the reconciliation, but you can still get a lot of money there. Take it instead of maybe uh, uh, winding down the the drain, which is circling down the drain, which looks like you know it's a possibility here. Lastly, the um, the Trump agenda. Uh, Donald Trump looks as strong as he has before. Without any social media, without any tweets, the latest poll shows he's got 68% approval with GOPers. Having said that, uh, uh, he's 99% certain on running. Does anyone run against him? Does Pompeo, does Nikki Haley, does Governor DeSantis, uh, does Chris Christie, does anyone run against him? So first of all... I don't think he's 99 percent. I think he, he, he's not, he probably doesn't know yet what, what he's going to do. But, yes, there's a, there's a really uh, wide-open door for him there, and I, w- I would guess he does run at the end of the day. I guess people run against him, but it's a much reduced field. If, it, if Trump weren't in, you know, you'd get a dozen. Uh, Trump's in, you maybe get two, three, four other candidates, and I'm, I'm not sure who exactly would go. Or or not. I mean, the big one, the, the biggest non-Trump candidate, obviously, is DeSantis. So that would be an initial huge question: is w- would he get in against Trump or not? And people I talk to tend to think not, but this is all, you know, this is all really speculative. Two or three year, years out, could be. Uh, in twenty twenty two, we'll see the candidates that he backed, the people that looked so unseat, and how successful they were. It would be interesting to see him retain his popularity without social media. Then maybe, it's, yeah, it's maybe that's going to be a story. We, you know, we thought that was so important, and you know, it had a big impact during his presidency what he was tweeting. But it turns out you can take it away the way big tech did, and he's still the biggest guy in the room. It's it's unbelievable. Uh, they're going to study this for generations. Rich Lowry, thanks so much. Editor of National Review, author of The Case for Nationalism. Thanks, Rich. Thanks, Brian. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. When we come back, I'll take your calls and your thoughts. Not only we have not discussed this, but I'll bring this up next. Now, Politico has agreed to uh, agrees with us. The laptop was real. The emails were authentic. Hunter Biden and Joe Biden are in bed with our enemies. A radio show of the people for the people. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. He talks about Hunter Biden's hard drive. Uh, He talks about conspiracy theories. The whole uh, smear on Joe Biden uh, comes from the Kremlin. Most of those charges unverified. Charges so heinous, I'm not even going to say them. They're like, (laughs) what are they talking about? I don't know. It's a laptop. And he's in the midst of a scandal. He's not. And he's taking... He's of course not. he is, no. Leslie. Come on. Uh, baseless conspiracy theories about Joe Biden and his son, Hunter. Do you ever wish you'd had Apple Care? Yeah, that would have been a good <laughs> Real hysterical. Uh, Hunter Biden with uh, uh, pictures with hookers and smoking crack and exchanges about with China and international business deals, his friends going down to jail. Uh, John Kerry's son backing out of the Ukrainian deal when he realized how dicey it was to his credit. A China deal, meetings with the vice president, pictures that go along with it, and nobody asked any questions. Politico finally saying, well, looks like the things on that laptop are real. 
almost all of it. They finally admit the legitimacy of it after uh, Twitter bans you and froze the account of the New York Post and stopped airing it on Facebook, and they marginalized it till after the election. A year later, we now know what Hunter Biden basically told us during his book tour when he was asked a few times about his laptop, and his answer was, I don't know. And that was okay. Palm Beach, Florida, Matthew. Hey, Matthew. Hey, how you doing, Brian? Um, on Fox and Friends, you were talking about the crowds with the college yep. and everything. And, you know, Fauci saying, oh, it's going to be a super spreader, you know, yet again being wrong. I don't think enough attention is being paid to the fact that, forget, you know, him and, you know, obviously being a partisan. But, like, I don't think they know. Like, after all this time, I, if, for him to come out with a bold statement of saying that's just super, super spreader and, you know, whatever, Black Lives Matter isn't, you know, I just don't think they know. Thank but- you. Matthew, thank you. That's what I'm saying. They act like they're experts. They change their story, and they act like we don't remember what they said. You are 100% right. We watch Florida State win a game or Clemson be successful or Texas and Texas A&M Get 100,000, no positive cases, and no one takes notes on success stories? Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. We're going to be joined by Senator Roger Marshall. Uh, he's small business committee. You know him. Uh, he is coming out of Kansas and introducing legislation preventing dishonorable discharges for U.S. service members who refuse to take the COVID-19 vaccine. In case you do not know, there are dozens and dozens of Navy SEALs in particular that said, I'm not taking it. We can't afford to lose Navy SEALs. They cost not only are they the, the best we have, 75 percent of Navy SEALs fail out of training. The ones that survive or end up doing the most difficult missions imaginable. And now they're making a military mandate to vaccinate everybody. You're losing so many people because they don't want to be bullied into doing something they're not comfortable with. Like a lot of you listening out there. You don't want to get your medical advice from Secretary of Defense Austin or President Biden. Or they've had it already and feel as though they have natural immunity. And he's making sure they maybe keep their jobs. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Was that your laptop? For real, I don't know. I know, but, but you know that's... Is, this I is really a, don't know okay. the answer is. So could have been yours. Of course, certainly. It, 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 there could be a laptop out there that was stolen from me. There could be that I was hacked. It could be that there was the that it was Russian intelligence. It could be that it was stolen from me. And here's the better question. Are those your emails? Told you. Politico confirms what we all know. Hunter's tat laptop story is real, and the laptop and the emails authentic. The president's role and references in it are authentic, and for the president, the president's disturbing links to foreign policy, and perhaps, indeed, he is compromised. But why now? Because the election is over. Why Dems and GOPers should be alarmed. Number two. We've ended 20 years of conflict in Afghanistan. And as we close this period of relentless war, we're opening a new era of relentless diplomacy. Government by and for the people is still the best way to deliver for all of our people. 
U.N. speech. President Biden pleads climate first pilot diplomacy and refuses to mention China and Russia. Uh, and he runs from the press. Can we say weak, weak, weak? I'll tell you the speech he should have given. Number one. What we saw was staggering. Hundreds of migrants at a time just streaming in from Ciudad Acuna, walking across the river, and just illegally entering the United States without any resistance from our federal government whatsoever. They crowded on the shore in huge masses. We watched it for five, six hours straight. Thousands coming in. Huh. Uh, the border blows up. The numbers are overwhelming. Shanty towns in, te- in Texas are forming in two major uprisings as Haitians erupt, injuring ICE agents, a pilot, in one case a bus driver, and they flood into our country. The president and his secretaries refuse to act, and at least 600,000, probably more, are released into the interior of our nation since the beginning of the year. Are you okay with that? I am not. By the way, John Rich coming up in 15 minutes with his brand new series on FBN. So uh, what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? Uh, When asked, fascinated to find out that the Secretary of Homeland Security has no idea how many people are coming across and get to stay. Bill Malusian found out. He found out that of the 16,000 and the 8,000 still left, some are being shipped back to Haiti, even though they haven't been there in 10 years. Some are being let go in various places across our country. We're just allowed to walk through. Are the ones still detained? 332 husband and wife combos. Where the wife is pregnant. Fantastic. You're pregnant. You get to stay. I guess we raise you. 6,728 family units, 1,579 single males, 493 single females. Uh, those, are, those are the numbers. The Bill Malusian walked over to Homeland Security directors and said, listen, can you just let me know the numbers? I'm not going to get you in trouble. That is the update on the bridge. For some reason, when asked, uh, Secretary Mayorkas has no idea the number or is pretending not to have any idea. Cut 13. Do you bear responsibility for the crisis in Del Rio? Yes or no? Senator, the the smuggling organizations? Yes or no, Mr. Secretary. Do you bear responsibility for the humanitarian crisis in Del Rio? How many people have been returned? How many people are being detained? How many people have been dispersed to all points around America? Uh, Senator, I would be pleased to provide you with that data. I want them now. Why don't you have that information now? Uh, Senator, I do not have that data Why not? for me. Why don't you have that basic information? Because he doesn't care. He's, uh, he's given a job that nobody wants to give him the assets he needs to help it. They have not changed the communication with South, the Central and South America. They have certainly not done anything to stop the Haitian exodus, which many were settled. I did not know this. This is new. I did not know they settled into... Uh, uh, a lot of cases, Brazil, other areas of Central America. Now, for the most part, and we talking to Rich Lowry last hour, he said that the Trump administration went out of their way to address the Haitian issue. Not that no Haitians belong here. That's not saying that. But we just can't absorb another country. There's ways to do it. And refugee status they can gain. You just can't open up the border to it. Now, word went out that if you come, you get to stay. And in comes Haiti, many of which Haitians, and many of which have been in Central and South America for various degrees of success for years. But now's the time to come. So they get to stay. And now they were going to try to get away with it if we didn't have that drone team expel, showing us what the images were in real time. And then when they stopped the drones, instead of stopping the flow, we got on boats and we found a helicopter to show us the true story. Ari, uh, it's pretty amazing. Stephen Miller has seen this one before. You know, he was a key aide to Donald Trump all four years. Cut 16. The only danger is that we fail to convey to people what is happening before our very eyes. 
every few days. A camp the size of Del Rio is admitted into our country day after day, week after week. Let me tell you a story. I was talking to a frontline immigration officer who works in Arizona. He says that people from all around the world, they book flights to Tijuana, they book flights to northern border towns in Mexico, they pay a small bus fare to drive one hour to the border in Arizona, they walk up to border agents, they turn themselves in, children, families, teenagers, and single adults, on the certainty, on the certainty that they will be admitted into the country. I wish he was exaggerating. Is it, There's nothing he said, Stephen Miller, that is wrong. They were obsessed with trying to find a way to control the border, and they finally got it down. Now the Remain in Mexico policy was put back in place by the courts, and it looks as though, from almost all reports, that the administration is choosing not to implement that. Instead, they're focusing on the fact that Texas National Guard is, they say, using extra-long whips to round up Haitians when it's to get their horses into the water river to go, to make sure people get out and stop crossing in. So instead of focusing on the numbers, the 16,000 plus, and Kamala Harris was tasked with this, she does nothing on it, doing coin flips at the Howard University football games, and then when she's asked about it, wearing a mask outside inexplicably, says this, cut one. What I saw depicted about um, those individuals on horseback treating human beings the way they were is horrible. And um, I fully support what is happening right now, which is a thorough investigation into exactly what is going on there. Um, But human beings should never be treated that way. And I'm deeply troubled about it. And I'll also be talking with Secretary of my office today about it. How about a follow-up question? What about the 16,000 under the bridge? And those were long reins. I'm sure she's never been on a horse. I'm not a big horseman, but that's according to experts and cops, like in New York City, that also are on horseback pretty regularly because it's more effective still, even in this day and age, when it comes to the huge refugee problem that she refuses to address. Instead, she talks about that video. The follow-up is, but aside from things you don't know, like horse riding, how about the fact and, and law enforcement, that 16,000 Haitians are here. Why? What have you done to stop it? Why have they been in Central and South America for 12 years and suddenly feel they can come now? Bill Malusian on the reality of the bridge. Cut five. It's hard to believe that this camp over my shoulder is actually in the United States. It's more reminiscent of somewhere from the third world. And law enforcement out here is on record saying that. We'll give you a live look at it right now. Just take a look at last check sources telling me still about 8,600 people living in here. Look at the conditions. You can see many of them have pulled plants, sticks, whatever they can find to create some sort of structure here to get out of that blistering hot sun as they're waiting to be processed. Law enforcement sources saying as of earlier this morning, there were at least 332 women in this camp who are pregnant. Many of these migrants just sitting, waiting, and hoping that they'll have a chance to be released into the United States. And we can go on. Watch the channel. Listen to the show. Uh, And we're not forgetting about Afghanistan either. Listen, I want to give John Rich some time. He's got a brand new show called The Pursuit. It's going to be on Fox Business. It's going to be Wednesdays from 9 to 10. 
Well, entrepreneurship, uh, the pursuit of happiness it's built on, and the pursuit of success. It's not about the money. It's about pursuing your dreams. And he talks to some very famous people about what they did in the journey to get there. And then Senator Dr. Roger Marshall will be joining us uh, on what is happening with this reconciliation bill that they don't need Republicans for. Uh, and now the 1.2 bipartisan bill, which they might need Republicans to bail them out of the House. We'll still follow the immigration, the Hunter Biden story. We're going to start unveiling and, and underlying and defining. We have a busy show. Thanks so much for being here. Don't move. It's Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I've been researching this music business since 1983 with all my heart. I've run as fast as I can run. You know, five Grammys, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. I can tell you right now, the hardest part has been for me to accept that my best is good enough. So I'm my worst enemy, all these things. I would just tell women and men both, um, if I had to pick one thing, and this is it, follow your bliss. I mean, Hmm. whatever the cost. And I've done it. And I have failed brilliantly. (laughs) I have failed brilliantly. And I can tell you more about those than I can the successes. Follow your bliss. Follow my bliss, man. There's your bumper sticker. Uh, That is uh, cut from the brand new show that's going to be on uh, Fox Business starting tonight. That's Wednesdays. Every Wednesday, 9 to 10 o'clock. John Rich, he's going to be host because the country music and success is not enough for him. He wants to get into the talk show business and has got a great magazine show to roll out. It's called The Pursuit with John Rich. John Rich joins us now. And it's repeated, by the way, again at 11 o'clock. John, welcome back. Brian, I'm just trying to be like you, buddy. I'm just chasing the greats. You know how it is. And you know I've had music success because I was all junior high as a clarinet player in seventh (laughs) and eighth grade. Wow, man. I bet you could really play some uh, some <laughs> ragtime blues. we got to get together and jam. All right. Why didn't the clarinet take off, John? You know, I'm not really sure, Brian. Uh, <laughs> it, it, but it does say a lot about an individual who decides to play the clarinet when there's a trumpet and a saxophone and all the other things. <laughs> Why did you decide on clarinet? My dad played in a band, had clarinet and saxophone. He actually uh, was a great musician. And I could play the notes, but I didn't know the music. You know the music. You feel it. He did. He was into jazz, too. I cannot appreciate jazz. I would rather go to prison. Uh, But that's another story. (laughs) That was a cut from Winona Judd. uh, And that is one of your interviews and one of your focuses on uh, The Pursuit. You told me about this show when you you were just contemplating it. What made you go through with it? What was so successful about Fox Nation that got it onto Fox Business? You know, I think it's a really important thing for Americans to remember that there actually is something we still have in common in this country, and it's called the rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I remember talking to you early on. I said, you know, Brian, America doesn't guarantee us happiness. It guarantees us the right to pursue happiness. And you looked at me and said, boy, that sums it up in one sentence. I said, yeah, I know. And so I wanted to sit people down that have accomplished things in their life but had to do it the hard way and tell the real inside story about what they had to go through to get to where they are today. I think our culture uh, is really doing a disservice, especially to the young people, making them think that they should just have instant success and instant gratification on whatever they're doing. And if they don't get it, hey, it's okay to go throw a fit, throw a brick through a window, whatever. 
And that's not how this is supposed to work. There's a reason we have thousands of people lining up at our border to come into this country, and it's because where they come from, they don't have the right to pursue happiness. They don't have the right to do anything other than what their government allows them to do. And See, in this country right. in America, we have the right to go exhaust our potential. That is something we need to keep at the top of our minds. Honestly, when you wake up every morning, no matter how tough life seems at that moment, you remember, hey, this is a long game. This is a long time I've got ahead of me. As long as I'm breathing and I'm standing upright, I could still attain my American dream. That's what this show is all about. Exactly, which is so interesting because uh, the one time I disagree with Bill Parcells, he wrote a book called No Medals for Trying because he wanted to win championships and he didn't want to win conference titles. He wanted to win Super Bowls. I get it. But most of America, like me, you don't win a championship, but you give it your all. And I think we have to glorify effort, learn from it. But there's glory in the effort. I don't know what uh, – I don't know if Norman Vincent Peale said that. I don't know if Napoleon Hill said that. But I say that because the only thing you can really control is the effort. That's exactly right. And, you know, when you go to bed at night, if you're totally exhausted mentally and physically, you're laying there about to go to sleep, and you're like, God almighty, what a long day that was. That's actually a really good feeling to have. It means that I took today and I wrung it out for everything it was worth, and I'm going to get some sleep and get up, and I'm going to go back after it again tomorrow. See, a lot of these countries around the world, you know, they have these caste systems where the man who's handling baggage, his dad also handled baggage, and his son is going to handle baggage too. And that's all they're ever going to be is baggage handlers because that's what they're that's what they're told to do. That's the part of the system that they're in, and that's just where it's going to be. And that's not, that's not the way human beings were built. God built human beings to be exponentially uh, great, I mean, to go after things. You know, failure doesn't make you a loser. Quitting makes you a loser. Failure doesn't make you a loser. If you, if you haven't failed a whole bunch, you know this premise. If you haven't failed a lot, that means you haven't tried very much, right? Exactly. And there is glory. There is glory in the effort, and there's respect that comes along when you see people who really go for it. And, and also, the American dream doesn't necessarily mean you're going to play in the NFL, you're going to be a country singer, you're going to be on TV like you are. It could mean something as simple as, I'd like to own my own farm someday. I would like to own my own welding business someday, or I would like to whatever. It could be, I, I want to be a successful school teacher for the rest of my life because I love teaching kids, and I want to do it at a high level. Whatever your dream is, that's what America allows you to go for. Here's your interview with Richard Petty, Cut 44. I mean, the look on Ronald Reagan's face, I mean, and he's watching that race, he, was, he could not believe no, what he, he was looking he, at. He just took his breath. Do you, think, do you think that race in 1984 and you, you get the 200th win, did that set NASCAR on a, on a next kind of a platform, next it, kind of level with America? It, it, it escalated our whole situation. It escalated the Petty family, but it escalated NASCAR. And the president put us on the front page. We put him on the sports page. So he got, oh, double, he got double coverage, and we did too. Yeah. So it was a big deal worldwide. 20 seconds left. Uh, we can watch your show, John. That's Richard Petty. He's the greatest person as, as he is a driver. The name of the show is The Pursuit with John Rich. Fox Business, Wednesday at 9 uh, until 10. And I love what you said. We only have 15 seconds. But you said reach your potential, an opportunity to reach your potential, whatever that is. Final thought? Hey, we live in the greatest country in the world. This show celebrates that, and it reminds us what we all have in common. 
You will be inspired, and you will be entertained. So tune in and watch The Pursuit. He's got whiskey, his own boots, and he's got his own bar, and he's got a great uh, music career. And now he's got his own show. John Rich, thanks so much. Radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. The Navy just informed the most famous unit in the entire services, the Navy SEAL that members will be forced to leave if they don't take the shot. It does not matter if they have natural immunity, and many do. It doesn't matter if they have a valid religious or medical exemption. If they don't submit to the order, they cannot deploy and they'll have to leave the SEALs. The deadline for this is almost immediately. Now, to be clear, just in case you're wondering if this is in response to some kind of crisis, We don't believe a single Navy SEAL has died of COVID, and that makes sense. These are some of the healthiest people, not just in America, but in the world. And that's just part of the monologue that caught everyone's attention, that the military is just not going along with the vaccine mandate. And the Navy SEALs, and, you know, in our country, 75% fail out of BUDS training. Very few, actually, I think uh, we have very few overall because it's such elite training and takes such a special person. Now we're going to throw that all away for a pure money value, $500,000 it costs to train a Navy SEAL. And because you won't get a vaccine that might even have natural immunity, you're going to kick them out. That it doesn't sit well with you, perhaps. And certainly now with Senator and Dr. Roger Marshall of Kansas, uh, he is not taking that sitting down. He's introducing legislation to prevent a dishonorable discharge for U.S. service members opting out of receiving the COVID-19 vaccine. Senator, how did it get to this? Brian, thanks for covering this. I think you nailed it, right? Um, I was sitting down at a football game this weekend with some officers from Fort Riley, and they were working on papers to separate enlisted people from the Army. This is, an, this is now a national security crisis created by this president, another crisis by this president, uh, an unconstitutional mandate. Uh, this, is, uh, this political football is now creating a national security crisis. So to answer your question, I think it got to this uh, because the, the president's wanting to, to deflect away from Afghanistan. So he thought he'd do something really controversial, declare this vaccine mandate. And, and here we are. Uh, it's going to impact the security of our nation. So how much Democratic buy-in do you have to if someone's going to do it? You're saying we can't stop them from being kicked out, but we can stop them from getting a dishonorable discharge that's going to hurt them the rest of their life. Yeah, exactly. So what our legislation do, we can't prevent the separation, but we can keep them from getting a dishonorable discharge because of this particular uh, issue. We dropped the bill yesterday, and we'll see what type of Democrat support we, we get from it. Uh, I think the, the question will be is just can they get enough oxygen to do any difference? Uh, but I think this is just a symptom of a much bigger, bigger problem. Uh, this, this vaccine mandate is already creating problems at hospitals where we have nurses, nurse assistants, respiratory therapists who don't want to get the vaccination. And, and like to your point, this natural immunity until the CDC, this White House, acknowledges natural immunity, that it's at least as good and, in my opinion, better than vaccination for protecting from COVID virus, that this nation is stuck. We are stuck in this quicksand of this mandate and, and going nowhere quickly. I know, and not the only country. Uh, the fact is, I mean, look at Australia, what's happening over there, uh, the crackdowns and protests in, in uh, France. But they go into our military because they're used to taking orders and, uh, and say, okay, take this virus or else. So now that's going to make us susceptible, and we're going to see a mass exodus if something isn't done. 
Senator, you're not ending there. The president wanted to move over, uh, move on beyond Afghanistan yesterday. I, I personally am uh, offended by that. He actually acts as if we're moving on from war, as if previous administrations were pro-war. Here's what he uh, here's what he said about Afghanistan, and the fact is, we're now moving more towards uh, diplomacy. Cut twenty. We've ended twenty years of conflict in Afghanistan, and as we close this period of relentless war, we're opening a new era of relentless diplomacy, of using the power of our development aid to invest in new ways of lifting people up around the world. Yeah. So let's pretend we live in this utopia where force doesn't matter. The threat of force doesn't uh, allow diplomacy to flourish. I did not know we were in the age of war and military first. I didn't know we were out of Afghanistan because it seems though we have thousands of people we're still looking to get out. Yeah, Brian, I'm from Kansas. Uh, Dwight Eisenhower, 34th president, was the first person to coin this term, peace through strength. President Reagan used it, President Trump, Secretary Pompeo. This president has never got anything right on national security. We gave him a plan for Afghanistan. He tore up that plan, and his, his rush to get out of there cost 13 American soldiers their lives. His, the rest of the world senses his weakness. You can only do so much through praying, forming committees, bribing people, but eventually you need the soldiers that can do the job and the will to do the job. Uh, recently, it's over in, in uh, Europe, uh, Western, Eastern Europe, excuse me. Uh, those countries looking to us, is, is America still strong? Will we be there for their back, or should they be looking towards Russia? Should they be looking to China towards help? A lonely world is turning its eyes towards this country. It's it's uh, the allies. What what I find really disconcerting, it's not that Iran is mad at an administration. They always are not that the Taliban is fomenting violence. They always will be. But when you have our allies like France recall their ambassador, it's hard to blame Trump. When you have your border falling apart because you reversed all Trump policies, it's hard to blame Trump. When you have a relationship with Mexico that has them ignoring all your calls when they used to actually go into business and have an alliance with the president, they were the last he was uh, uh, their president was the last to acknowledge that Joe Biden won the election. That is a huge problem. But it's hard to blame Trump for that. Listen to what uh, Joe Biden said yesterday about our allies and how we're going to work with them. Cut 22 must also remain vigilant to the threat of terror that terrorism poses to all our nations, whether emanating from distant regions of the world or in our own backyards. We know the bitter string of terrorism. The bitter sting of terrorism is, is real. We've almost all experienced it. Last month, we lost 13 American heroes and almost 200 innocent Afghan civilians and a heinous terrorist attack at the Kabul airport. And he, wanted to, he went on to talk about our allies and how we're in it together. We left NATO allies and the NATO citizens behind, along with American citizens. And guess who caused that terror attack? Let us susceptible. He turned down the opportunity to hold on to Kabul. The Taliban actually said, do you want us to take it or do you want to take it? And we said, we just want the airport. And the perimeter was guarded by the Taliban. And he wonders what could go wrong. 
Yeah, Brian, I'm not, I'm just, it's, it's inconceivable. Did he do anything right in Afghanistan? Again, we gave him a plan. He tore it up. Uh, and then the blood of these soldiers is on his shoulders. Any, uh, you know, Secretary Pompeo would have never let this happen. The first time the Taliban came out of their caves and tried to take over one of the other capitals there, uh, that would have been the end of all that. And certainly, if we're going to secure an airport, we're going to secure the perimeter as well. I, I just, I'm just beside myself to think what, why he was in such a rush. Right. Why did he put his military advisors in this predicament to saying, look, you've got 750 soldiers and, and good luck, right? So he put them in a box, and it cost 13 soldiers their lives, and then we left there without all of our people, without all of our allies. And again, as I traveled and talked to our NATO countries, what you're saying is spot on. How come you didn't consult with us? How come you left without uh, telling us you were leaving? And why did you uh, leave our people behind without protection? So you are spot on. That's exactly what our NATO partners are saying right now. Senator Marshall of Kansas with us right now. Senator, the president will not answer questions. In the beginning, his, uh, they just didn't want him to answer questions. Now, between the border, between the economy, between his booster bungle, uh, between what's happening in Afghanistan, between the embarrassment of France taking their ambassador. He knows none of these questions are going to be comfortable. Listen to how bad it got embarrassing in the Oval Office yesterday. I think, would it, would it be okay if we just have a couple of, of questions, just a, uh, just a, just a couple uh, of Good questions? For, for the, for, and I think we're going to be ruthless. I'm going to be ruthless. Uh, I'm going to go to, I'm going to, go to uh, Harry Cole. Uh, from the sun. Mr. President, uh, he, he, he's asked him the question. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't kidding. The uh, Boris Johnson of Britain took two questions. He would not take any questions. They just threw they threw the press out again. Uh, Brian, again, it's it, it, this is embarrassing. Um, everybody in America sees it. I, I wish this president would take the mental aptitude test that President Trump took. Uh, for the sake of this nation, for the safety of this nation. I, I hope uh, he's, his health is okay, but I think we're all very concerned. Um, and, and again, he's just politically upside down right now. He was uh, right side up on coronavirus, but you're right. He's uh, messed up the booster vaccination issue and now the vaccine mandate. He's underwater. We did a town hall last week in a purple uh, county, and I'm just telling you 90 percent of the people were there supporting uh, conservative, traditional uh, American patriotism and, and just beside themselves with anger regarding the policies of this president. Are you, are you going to vote for this bipartisan bill on infrastructure? Hell no. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, there's no way that we can support this. This is reckless spending. It's reckless taxing. It's going to lead to reckless inflation. It's going to kill jobs. Uh, America has a choice today. Or do we want to be a free market enterprise, or do we want to be a government-controlled socialistic economy? Uh, for we, we don't have a perfect economy, but it's been pretty darn good. And I, I just can't believe that we, we have a person in office who wants to now take us to a totally socialistic, using Marxism philosophy, uh, using an economic philosophy of really Bernie Sanders, a, a person who's basically somewhere between socialists and communists on the scale. So I'm a hell no on, on raising the debt, I'm a hell no on spending more money on this so-called human infrastructure, which is really socialism. Uh, the Democrats are on their way to shutting down the government and making the United States 
uh, have a problem with our with our bonds and our, our funding for our because of the debt limit issue. The Democrats own all this. They own, own all the levers of the government. This is on them. And well, when it comes to the vaccine, I know this goes right underneath one of your auspices of your committees. You're in the Small Business Committee. Uh, they are making businesses with over 100 people get a vaccine or face fines. So... Uh, listen, I got a vaccine. I want people to make their own decision by doctors, not by presidents. Is that okay with you? You know, a couple of things to, to take down there. First of all, I encourage senior citizens to talk to their doctor today about getting the booster shot. My parents are in line to get it. The president's kind of pulled out the chair from under us but still up here fighting to get those booster shots available for senior citizens. It is absolutely a personal choice. Um, this issue that you're talking about, this vaccine mandate, is just going to create a huge economic crisis in our military, uh, already in our hospitals, our nursing homes. We're already facing those crises right now that maybe 25, 30 percent of the people that are, that are enlisted in the military, that are nurses, uh, that work in nursing homes, don't want the vaccine. And they're going to walk out, leaving us in a real pickle, leaving our small businesses in a real pickle as well. So this is horrible for all businesses but especially small businesses. It's amazing. It just, uh, uh, and I just want to bring up this point. For those out there who are walking around saying these are the rules and this is who to trust, we've had about four, I mean, probably 40 sold-out football games, maskless college students in the stands from Texas, Texas A&M, to uh, we saw Florida, uh, Florida, uh, Florida play uh, uh, Alabama over the weekend. We see all these games. Do you know there's not been one surge in any of those areas? Massless students. I don't even know if they're vaccinated or not. 100,000 people. Can you please study success stories as well as surge stories? Yep, Brian, getting seniors the booster shot right now will save more lives than if every student in America wears three masks and gets two vaccine shots. Over 70% of the people that die from COVID are seniors. 87% of the breakthroughs from the vaccine of people that die are senior citizens. They're the folks that are at risk, and that makes perfect scientific sense, right? Anyone that's had a biology class in college realizes that the immune system of a senior, which is required to respond to that vaccine, starts to dwindle after a series of months. Uh, This White House is costing seniors their lives right now by delaying the implementation of this. We've known it for months. Mm -hmm. Uh, Senior citizens, people that have diabetes, really encourage them to talk to their doctor. This is a personal choice. I'm against vaccine mandates. But if you're a senior citizen, if you're a person with an underlying health condition, please talk to your doctor about this booster shot. Senator Roger Marshall, uh, who's also a doctor. Uh, Thanks so much, Senator. Yeah, Brian, thanks for having me on. Have a great day. 1-866-408-7669. Back in a moment. Expanding your knowledge base. It's Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Yes, yes, yes. God love you, man. You, you're a one-horse pony. I tell you. Thank you. Thank you. I promise you, my Justice Department 
will be totally on its own making its judgments about how they should proceed. Uh, yeah, that's wrong. By the way, one horse pony, I mean, what is the phrase supposed to be? One trick pony, one horse pony? I mean, what is that? Um, what is it, dog face? Uh, dog yeah, face the, pony the other soldier. one, dog face pony soldier. Remember that one? So he got away with it. He got, they got away with it. Now, Political writes a story that most of the emails, even if some were not true, most of the emails were true and authentic, that Hunter Biden was doing complex deals, setting up meetings with his dad to meet key people who, who he would later do business with in the Ukraine, Sweden, and China. So now the story is real. Really? Someone tell Twitter an apology won't do. The New York Post It is not enough. Unbelievable that that is the story. Here's Jim Jordan yesterday talking about Hunter Biden and the revelations we all knew were valid. Politico figured out, as you said, Laura, what we knew a year ago. I mean, we had an eyewitness, uh, Tony Bobulinski. We had the actual emails talking about the big guy, Joe Biden. We had the laptop, and we had the fact that the FBI was investigating that. I'm convinced reporters around this town knew that, but no, 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 it was misinformation. And, And big tech and big media collude to keep important information from we the people in the run-up to the most important election we have, election of the president of the United States. That's what so offends me and so many Americans. You're a lying dog-faced pony soldier. Yeah, I mean, and that's who we're looking at now. So if you look at those emails, see the details. Remember Hunter Biden said, when asked, the guy wrote a book, did a book tour, knowing at some point he could be asked about the authenticity of a laptop. The hookers, the pictures that are on that laptop, where I think if you look at them, you could get actually charged. This is what he said. Was that your laptop? For real, I don't know. I know, but But you know that this is... I really don't know if the answer is. You don't know yes or no if the laptop was yours. I don't have any idea. I have no idea. So it could have been yours. Of course, certainly. There could be a laptop out there that was stolen from me. There could be that I was hacked. It could be that there was the that it was Russian intelligence. It could be that it was stolen from me. Okay. The key is not the laptop. The key is not, as Jimmy Kimmel says, the Apple Care, not dropping it off to a personal repair shop. The key is the authenticity of what's in it. The pictures were real, and they're disgusting, and I hear the worst is yet to come. But the emails are bad for national security. Hunter Biden's a drug addict. He'll always be a drug addict. The day he forgets that, the day he relapses. Hope he's fine. But we're not. Because big tech and big media lied about it. Uh Uh-oh, I'm in trouble. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City. Fresh off the set of Fox & Friends. It's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Very Fox-like hour coming your direction. Dana Perino joins us fresh off her show. Then at the bottom of the hour, Martha McCallum will come in. We're going to unwind some big things in politics. Biggest week so far, maybe of all four years for uh, Joe Biden, should he last that long, because he's got to pass a reconciliation bill, find a way to fund the government, get the... the, Debt ceiling raised, as well as get a bipartisan deal passed. All of it is in jeopardy, every single bit of it. And he's heavily condemned on his Afghanistan and the border policies that we're witnessing. And we find out now with this Bob Woodward book, as bad as it looks for Trump, as every Woodward book does for a president, uh, it, it really looks bad for Biden, too. These policies were all his in Afghanistan. They tried to warn him, did his staff, which means they're lying to us when they said they supported it. And Joe Biden's lying to us when he said the Joint Chiefs uh, were 
all for it leaving Afghanistan, and they said he had no choice but to stay. So uh, a quick uh, quick note, just to bring up on a personal level, uh, uh, if you go to BrianKillMe.com, and why wouldn't you, there's a chance to see the President of Freedom Fighter tour on stage, and it's the new book I have coming out in November. It's the Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, and their battle to save America's soul. I've worked on it for the last two and a half years. I'll be in Charleston, West Virginia, November 7th. That's a Sunday. It'll be really, it's a winning the war on history is part of the theme. I'll talk about all my history books, and it'll be a very patriotic night. It's been great fun to be able to interact with an audience rather than talk to and get maybe some, some contact with phones and emails. But this is better. I get one-on-one. Ponte Vedra, Florida, December 3rd. On December 4th, I'll be in Clearwater, Florida the next day. On Orlando, Florida, I'll be there November 21st. Just go to BrianKillMe.com. My chance to uh, see you in person and sign the book as we get set for the holidays. Uh, So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Was that your laptop? For real, I don't know. I know, but, but you know that's... Is, this I is really a, don't know okay. if the answer is. So could have been yours. Of course, certainly. It, 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 there could be a laptop out there that was stolen from me. There could be that I was hacked. It could be that it was, uh, that it was Russian intelligence. It could be that it was stolen from me. The question should be, what's in the emails? And now even Politico says they confirm they knew and they are real. Hunter's laptop story, valid. New York Post Twitter account should never have been sidelines. If you actually retweeted that story, you never should have been banned. But all that happened leading up to the election, making it seem from the debates on down, and you'll hear some of this, that Donald Trump was making it up. He wasn't. We all should be alarmed about what happened, and now that we know. But we kind of all were it. We knew all along, didn't we? Number two. We've ended 20 years of conflict in Afghanistan. And as we close this period of relentless war, we're opening a new era of relentless diplomacy. Government by and for the people is still the best way to deliver for all of our people. Yeah, relentless diplomacy. Yeah, we never thought of using diplomacy. We just wanted to bomb Iraq and Afghanistan for the heck of it. Uh, The U.N. speech that everybody's talking about because it was so inept and inadequate, according to me, and I hope you. Can we just say flat out weak? That's what it was. I'll break it down. Number one. What we saw was staggering. Hundreds of migrants at a time just streaming in from Ciudad Acuna, walking across the river, and just illegally entering the United States without any resistance from our federal government whatsoever. They crowded on the shore in huge masses. We watched it for five, six hours straight. Thousands coming in. Uh, Yeah, it is amazing how bad this is for the country and for President Biden. Uh, we are talking about what Bill Malusian's reporting on. The border blows up. The numbers are overwhelming. Shanty towns in Texas uh, in a small area under one bridge are forming. 14,000 at one point, still 8,000 remain. And yet we have a Homeland Security secretary who seems in denial of the magnitude of the problem and a president that won't answer a question about it. And I don't want to take too much time away from uh, Dana Perino. So I'll finish up here just by giving you an idea of what's happening at the border. I'm going to let Bill Malusian finish that report. Cut five. It's hard to believe that this camp over my shoulder is actually in the United States. It's more reminiscent of somewhere from the third world. And law enforcement out here is on record saying that. We'll give you a live look at it right now. Just take a look. At last check, sources telling me still about 8,600 people living in here. Look at the conditions. You can see many of them have pulled plants, sticks, whatever they can find to create some sort of structure here to get out of that blistering hot sun as they're waiting to be processed. Law enforcement sources saying as of earlier this morning, there were at least 
least 332 women in this camp who are pregnant. Many of these migrants just sitting, waiting, and hoping that they'll have a chance to be released into the United States. This is unbelievable, and the numbers are stunning. 6,728 uh, family units, 1,579 single males. They should be sent back. I guarantee you they won't be. 493 females. But get this. If you come with it, if you're a woman, if you're pregnant, you get to stay. 332 stay. So we have new Americans who are breaking the, breaking the immigration system. They're from Haiti. I don't care if they're from Mars. This is not the way you do it. And we're getting no cooperation with Central and South America because this president has alienated them. And the vice president won't take an initiative. And Mexico won't stop them. And the way I understand it is it's very hard for them to take Haitians. Why? If you're from uh, Guatemala, if you're from Honduras, it's easier to mesh in a Spanish-speaking community. The cultures aren't very different. Haiti is dramatically different. Many speak French. And that does not automatically meld well with society, ends up costing society a lot of money, a lot of which are already in deep deficit. You use our aid as leverage to force them to act. You get the word out within these communities that it is not okay to come. It's quite simple. When I talk about how bad this speech was, I'm going to do that next with Dana Perino. She is a master at communications, and she knows what intent is and what they expect to accomplish. She worked with uh, President George W. Bush and had a big career prior and has been thriving here. When we come back, Dana joins us, and then Martha McCallum on the other side. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. He talks about Hunter Biden's hard drive. Uh, he talks about conspiracy theories. The whole uh, smear on Joe Biden uh, comes from the Kremlin. Most of those charges unverified. Charges so heinous, I'm not even going to say them. They're like, <laughs> what are they talking about? I don't know. It's a laptop. No and he's in the midst of a scandal. He's not. And he's taking... He's of course not. he is, no. Leslie. Come on. Yeah. Baseless conspiracy theories about Joe Biden and his son, Hunter. Do you ever wish you'd had Apple Care? Yeah, that would have been a good one. <laughs> so Jimmy Kimmel thought it was hysterical, and the crowd laughed, and Hunter Biden just has uh, horrible scenes, pictures on his laptop of him with hookers, uh, obviously doing drugs. That's his own personal issue. What I cared about was, is it true, these emails, correspondence with Sweden, now we know, with Ukraine, now we know for sure, with the China. And no one ever said, are these emails real? They said, is the laptop real? They focused on the repair shop. Now, Politico tells the story and says today, it looks like these are authentic. Really? A year and a half late. With me right now is Dana Perino, co-anchor of America's Newsroom. She's fresh off that show. In six hours, she's going to be hosting The Five. <laughs> and who knows what she's going to do in between. And going, to May- uh, going to the dentist. Going to the dentist. We're going to televise that as well. Uh, May 21st, we know we're looking forward to our postponed event yes. at the Paramount in, uh, in New Jersey and Asbury Park. So, Dana, first off, I've never seen anything like it, a major story that 95% of the media decided to plow under and and delegitimize. Now we knew all along this wasn't an opinion. This wasn't Watergate. These were authentic emails, and Politico picks it up. Make sense of it. Oh, I can't make sense of it. Well, I guess the only thing to say is that there was actually a, a conspiracy that is not one in which it was like instructions went out, like it was written like, okay, here's the conspiracy. This is what we're going to do. It's basically just unwritten in the rules that 
everybody was like, okay, everyone has to defend Hunter Biden on this because this is not true. And you look at the New York Post. This is a media outlet that is doing such great work across the board on every story. The border issue, uh, Afghanistan in particular, the Gabby Petito story, they're finding things that nobody else is finding. So I'm hoping that the next time that the New York Post has a scoop, that it is not ridiculed. Because for Politico to come out and just say, oh, yeah, actually, this is all true. If I were the New York Post, I'd be a little angry. Apology not accepted. (laughs) Exactly. And and it really does affect things because... You know, if you're Billy Carter and you're embarrassing Jimmy Carter, that's his problem and that's embarrassing. If you're Roger Clinton and you have some issues, that's really a family issue. Hunter Biden's drug addiction is nothing to do with this. It is what he was doing internationally. And you don't talk, they would pivot to the tragedy that they all felt and Bo's passing and the car accident from the 70s. I'm saying to myself, wait a second, are these emails real? Who's Tony Bobolinsky? Did he meet in Los Angeles with Joe Biden before he spoke. Everything lined up. The guy had receipts. Everything lined up. And then all of a sudden they take a paper. The newspaper's been around since uh, Alexander Hamilton. And they decide to destroy their social media accounts. And no one ever says, are these emails true? Is this Hunter Biden's emails? They focus on the actual laptop. And you know what's going to happen um, tomorrow? They'll prob- there's probably a conference somewhere where journalists will get together and lament the fact that the trust in media has gone down so much. <laughs> As if it's not related. Right. Uh, emails released uh, this show. This, I not know. Swedish government agency also matched emails with Lee Cachet. And two people who correspond with Hunter Biden confirmed emails uh, who were genuine. Uh, and meanwhile, there's that other deal that Hunter Biden, I don't think, is divested from with China. And is it worse? Does China know something about that deal? How uh, How deep his dad, who's now president, is? that makes him susceptible. Do the Russians know about the Ukrainian deal at a level which makes us vulnerable? Don't you think that all of this is going to come out? Yeah. I do, too. And I think that the White House is just bracing themselves for it. I think they're stunned. And judging by the interaction, if I remember off my head, top of my head, that when Bobolinsky came out with his story and few people picked it up, even though he showed up prior to the debate, Hunter Biden and everybody around that thought they were all going down. And they didn't. And Bobolinsky has interactions with other made players in this fund. And they thought, it's like, this is it for us. Are you sure you got to do it? Yeah, it's it for you. And he did it and nothing happened. Right. So I, and I, I, I even think that in terms of the selling of Hunter Biden's artwork, that a lot of that is questionable too, right? Because um, you even have the former White House ethics person, Walter Schaub, who is just absolutely went after the Trumps all the time. He's even saying that this current issue of Biden, Hunter Biden selling his art to unnamed people, right? That was the rule that they decided on is that, okay, well, he can't know who he's selling it to. But that's worse, right? Because the transparency is what actually would shine the light on it. And then we could all decide, oh, well, like, is this person trying to get a favor from President Biden through his son, Hunter? Well, we don't know because it's cloaked in secrecy. But if it was all on open, then you could at least know. I'm for more disclosure on that front as well. And lastly on this, Victor Davis Hanson came out about a month ago and stuff. this art story came out, and he said, at this point, after the book tour and now this, I mean, think about this. Hunter Biden got away with it. Instead of disappearing, where's the money? Where's all the money? Number one, that he's being investigated by the FBI. How long is this investigation? Instead of disappearing, he writes a book. 
No one buys the book, but he does a national tour on the book. And then he comes out with this painting career. Victor Davis Hanson says, I think he's trolling his dad. I think on some level he is resentful that his dad has put him out there to be the breadwinner. And he said that to his own daughter. Do you think on some level he might be trolling the president? <laughs> Gosh. I think he's a he's a pretty complicated, troubled guy. Uh, he's obviously has um, the ability to lie with abandon. And I don't know about, about you know trolling his dad, but maybe maybe unconsciously. Uh, and I imagine that every day at the White House, it's like, oh, gosh, what more could come from this? When you, Whenever you get a call, but there's a Hunter Biden connection, just like I'm sure there was with Billy Carter, for example, um, or Roger Clinton. Remember, like all of those things, you're just like, oh, gosh, here we go again. But, but Dana, it's so unbalanced when you talk about how they pursued rumors and innuendo on oh, Russia. of course. And how Kaylee McEnany and Sarah Huckabee Sanders were trying, okay, this is what's going on in the world. But wait a second, the New York Times, CNN, had a lead on a Russia story. And she would besieged in a disparaging way on a regular basis. Well, that story is all going to come out as well. Which is? Like the whole um, Durham investigation about the origins of the Russia collusion narrative. I really believe that's all coming out. And, I mean, if you look at what Andy McCarthy did in National Review and then for the, for the New York Post in terms of showing you exactly how this all happened, from, just from what we know from public disclosures so far, to me, I think Hillary Clinton at some point is going to have to break her silence on that. So I hold in my hand the Michael Sussman oh, uh, what a transition. And, uh, yeah, and this is it, really. And a lot of people at first glance said, oh, who's Michael Sussman? Why is that a big deal? Is this all Durham has? But he has, this is a lot. And it's only this one is count of— line to the FBI, but what Durham does in this indictment is lays out why all of this makes sense, and it gives you a peek behind the curtain of what Durham is finding. So I found your wallet, and your wallet's missing with all your valuable jewels and your family heritage on it. I found it in the street. Okay. Then you find out later that I stole it, mm-hmm. and that it was a big thing to rob you from it, and I took most of the valuables out of it. Instead of me being this nice guy that came forward because I care about the country, uh, I care about you, next thing you know, I set the whole thing up, and I was behind it. I'm not a big name, but, man, I really did some big damage. And, and all your friends were in on it because that's the thing I find very interesting about this. If you look, at, again, at that chart Andy McCarthy did, um, in the media, as a journalist, one of the things you want is two but preferably three sources before you go with a story. If you look at this chart, the, you could get three sources, three, and it might have looked like three different sources or two different sources but they're all connected. to tell you something, but they were actually all connected. And what was their connection? It was the Hillary Clinton campaign and the law firm that they used. So I want you to hear this interaction. This is the one you dug out, Eric, when Boris Johnson gets the question and what Joe Biden said. I think, would it, would it be okay if we just have a couple of, of questions, just a, just a, just a couple uh, of Good questions for, for the, for, and I think we're going to be ruthless. I'm going to be ruthless. Uh, I'm going to go to, I'm going to go to uh, Harry Cole uh, from the Sun. Mr. President, uh, he, he, he asked him the question. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm pretty sure that people understood that they, they're sitting in the Oval Office, and he said, "Can we take some questions?" Joe Biden didn't want to, and he said, "You just ask him the question." What leads up to that? I mean, what was the miscommunication? Okay, so traditionally, um, whenever you have a world leader at the White House, whether it's in the Oval Office or in more formal setting, the Rose Garden or the East Room of the White House, uh, it's tradition each leader calls on two members of their side's press corps. That's just tradition. And you do it no matter who it is, right? Now, what what they did was they brought the pool in. That's the White House pool, all the reporters. 
And Johnson, I think what happened was he's expecting as leaders of the free world um, who believe in human rights, freedom of the press and democracy and accountability to citizens that, of course, are going to take a couple questions. And remember, Boris Johnson just got a big diplomatic win with Biden in terms of allowing, finally, uh, p- citizens from the U.K. to be allowed to travel into the United they States. They weren't informed of it ahead of time, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah yes, but, he, but what you want to do with a, a friend of yours or an ally is give them a chance to shine. Give them a chance to have some good headlines back home. What I think happened here is they didn't want Biden to answer any questions for a multitude of reasons. Okay, we could imagine no what they news. are. And that it seemed that maybe the staff had had a conversation back and forth that they were not going to take any questions. And so Boris Johnson was like, let me see if I can just do this on the fly and say, let me sure, surely it's okay to take a couple questions. Right. And instead, they usher everybody out of the Oval Office. I thought it looked terrible. It looks dictatorial. And it also shows like you can't back up any of the decisions that you're making. Coming up later, Dana goes to the dentist, then the five. All right. Thanks so much, Dana. Dana Perino. Bye. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. And when you have an administration that is not enforcing the law in this country, when you have an administration that has abandoned any pretense of securing the border and securing our sovereignty, you see the onrush of people like what we saw walking across this dam that is right behind me. Well, because the Biden administration is doing nothing to secure our border, because the Biden administration has been promoting and allowing open border policies. Welcome back, everyone. This uh, uh, the Brian Kilmeade Show. Martha McCallum is here. She's set to host her show at 3 o'clock, and who knows? How many other shows are you doing, Martha, today? <laughs> I mean, because I saw you all over well, the channel. Wednesday is my big day, right? you know? And um, so I, I, I just talked to Stuart Varney, and before that I was talking to Dana, and now I'm talking to you. Right, so. it's a lot of people. They'd be pretty sick of me by three o'clock. Oh, I would imagine. Look at what you look at. I got. Mm-hmm. Let me see your. So I got this new iPad. Yeah. No, I uh, love. Did you this see this iPad. one though? No, that one. This one doesn't actually up touch off of the yeah. keyboard. And mm-hmm. I have a trackpad, so I basically have a laptop, a mouse, yeah. a laptop. No, it's great. I I love it, but I like just doing it with my finger. Same on the, on I go. The, on I go both ways. I'll yeah. go. I'll go on my screen, but I don't like typing on the screen. I need a keyboard. No, typing on the keyboard makes it Have so to. perfect. Now, how would you feel about this? I walked into Apple, mm-hmm. and I won't tell you how much. It's way too much money, but I walked into Apple, and it said I thought it was expensive, and I'll tell you what it said. This was this uh, this whole holder. This keyboard was three hundred dollars. Now I walked up to it, and, and that's it, just a regular iPad. But it doesn't but you rest. Got the yeah, fancy one. I had the iPad. Why does I just, it matter is, to you if it rests or not? Oh, because you know sometimes the connection there gets cloudy, and sometimes the the other keyboard pops up. Oh. I have to keep wiping it down. Oh, also I you thought must too. Have dirty fingers. With the I don't have pad. that problem. You don't have that problem. <laughs> uh, or dirty iPad. So I walked up. So they wrote down one hundred and fifty. Hmm. So I go okay. They go. Oh, I'm sorry. This is not price right. I go. It's too expensive. They go. No, it's. It is. Uh, it's, it's really three hundred dollars. I go. Yeah, but you put one hundred and fifty down there. He goes. Yeah, we made a mistake. I go. Well, you should talk to your manager because <laughs> nice I'm pretty try, sure. Ryan. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure it's not my problem. Nice try. And they go. Yeah, our policy. I'm like, yeah, your is policy. To charge what it's right. What we, what we charge. But I don't think that's right. Do you? Would you have? Well, I mean. I mean. Didn't yeah. I have, don't if, I have if a If I'm case? running the company and somebody's giving stuff away at half price, <laughs> I'm not going to be too happy. Okay. Yeah. 
right. So, so Martha, this is this is a big week. I want to go inside Washington if I can. So far, the three point five trillion seems DOA. Everyone's like, Joe Manchin's going to cave. He's not. Kristen Sinema is going to cave. She isn't. Now, on the House side, they said if you uh, these uh, the left wingers, the squad and company say if we don't get the three point five, we're not going to vote for the one point two. But now it's not a threat. It's, it seems to be a dug in reality. Yeah. So here's what Harold Ford said the other night, and I'm wondering if you think that this is going to be where this goes. I'm just going to ask your prediction. I think Democrats uh, in the Congress have to remember that for 40 years, Democrats controlled the Congress until 94. Newt Gingrich and Republicans brought in a revolution. And over the last 28 years, the country has enamored themselves with wanting results. And they've changed the majority four times. Democrats are in the majority now. Democrats should take the victory that's in front of them. It's time to reset here. I listen to liberals. I listen to the moderates. But more importantly, I listen to the country. Joe Biden was elected to unify the country and help stabilize and bring us around an agenda that could advance the country. Democrats would be good to look to that. And once you get a victory, then you figure out the the next victory. I mean, so logical, right? It makes a heck of a lot of sense. You would think that anybody running the Democrat Party would say exactly the same thing. I I heard Harold say that the other night. I thought it was an excellent point. Chris Coons echoed that. Yes. And uh, I think Harold also made the point that evening that Bernie Sanders did not win the nomination. Right. And the 3.5 is his agenda. Right. And, and, and Bernie Sanders says the 3.5 is too low. Right. He gets all upset that the 3.5 3, 3. is too low. Um, so so he's trying to convince uh, people that that the 3.5 is a huge concession. Right. That that this is a very moderate 3.5. People are you know, people are not going to fall for that. This is an absolute transformation of the American economy. It makes us a lot more like the U.K. economy or the French economy. We have a lot of socialized programs from cradle to grave. Now, if that's what people want, but people have to understand that is what this is all about. But it does not look like it's going to pass. And where is President Biden in this process? Like, you know, is he working to sort of figure out a way to bring both sides together on this? Does he want to move his agenda forward? I mean, he doesn't answer any questions at, at news conferences. You know, there's a lot of questions that people have for him right now. It's it's I don't know what the heck's going on. Well, put it this way. We, we already they just did the study. And I'm sure you realize it in New York. If you work in New York City and let alone live here, 61 percent of your income is going to taxes. So the question is, this is already on overdraft. We can't afford the $3.5 trillion where we have $28 trillion in debt. So if we're going to add $3.5 trillion. It's not paid for. Don't even, and if they are going to try to pay for it, it's right. going to be ratcheting up taxes and, in my theory, uh, squelching ambition. A lot of billionaires yeah. are going to go, screw it. You start your own business. Well, I, I heard a you political your own ad company. this morning for one of the congressmen in, in my state of New Jersey saying, you know, Congressman, don't vote for the $3.5 trillion um, package. Do you realize that you're going to be cutting funding to Medicare for research, you know, all sorts of things, right? So, so they're they're pushing back on this in in a big way. There's also the Iron Dome issue and um, cutting funding for the Iron Dome in Israel. People need to understand what's in this what's in this package, and it it is it's it, it you know it also strikes me when you talk about taxes and 61 percent tax rate in New York. 
the president doesn't understand, apparently, who pays the taxes in the country. Because when he spoke uh, last week before the nation, he said the top 1% doesn't pay their fair share. The top 1% pays 40% of the tax All burden. taxes. The bottom 50%, I believe, or 40%, pays no taxes at all. So he needs to get his facts straight and understand who, pay, who pays the tax burden in the nation. 61% of your income. I mean, think about that, right? Is 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 that so? What what amount would be fair, right? What would be enough? How much more? How many more hours you have to work? They actually think that people are sitting in their palaces and they have zillion dollars. And what's the big deal if you have to give up ten? Yeah. It's not the case. Usually, the the highest earners have sacrificed the most to work the most to be the most successful possible to reach their potential, whatever it is. But in terms of political reality, Jonathan Swan uh, of Axios said this: Cut forty two. Well, Biden's in a very difficult position because he's actually getting hit by both sides at this point. I mean, Chuck Schumer, Senate Majority Leader, came out and was pretty excoriating in his comments about this. Um, So Biden's being hit by the left for harsh treatment, and he's being hit by the right for the scenes that you're seeing on the border. And to get the bipartisan bill passed, guess what? He's going to cheat. Nancy Pelosi, who everyone talks about this consolidator, never talks to Republicans, can't even pronounce most of their names. Mm -hmm. Now she's got to ask Republicans for the votes because she's going to lose the wild left. Yeah, that's right. That that that's Did, the will she that and in. will they? Uh, you know, I, I mean, there might be a few on the bubble who might consider this in some moderate districts, but you know, the, the other the other thing that is sort of a buy off is this salt tax issue. Uh, in New York and in Illinois, where California. you know they took away the state and California, they took away the state and local tax deductions um, in where, those where places they're the highest. They, where they're the highest. So they may have a little bit of trade off there. I don't think they're going to get to that 10 number. I, I think they realize the agenda is really, really stuck right now. And the president's approval numbers are very weak um, and they have no they have no win in sight at the moment. They wanted to do police reform. America's yes. changed. They said, you can keep your police reform. Voting reform. reform right. They want to do voting reform. Joe Manchin said, to his immense credit, I'm not going to nationalize elections. Mm-hmm. And they said, we're going to narrow it down. They kind of tried to jam something thin and put in that reconciliation package. They wanted to do to naturalize uh, 8 to 10 million, some people say higher, illegal aliens that are here. And the parliamentarian said, no, AOC and company say ignore them. They're not going to do that. Right. So that's out of the package. Who knows what else would not have survived this, this $3.5 trillion. So now where is your agenda? Well, it's going to blow up the filibuster. Let's pack the court. Thankfully, they don't want to – even the president said, I'm not going to blow up yeah. the filibuster. Manchin says, I'm not going to do that. Cinema says, I'm not going to do that. They're well, saving the Democrats know, the, for themselves. I, the I would go back to Harold Ford Jr., um, he, he's absolutely right. I mean, you could get an infrastructure package through and you could get a smaller spending bill through that you could get probably, you know, maybe even some Republicans on board on that and lose those, the, the progressives on the other side who some Republicans who might want to say, you know, I got an infrastructure bill through. Um, but it doesn't seem they, they don't seem to have the organization or the wherewithal or the foresight to to want to maintain that majority by having a couple of wins. And this is really this is the bite at the apple. Um, they're going to start running up against the 2022 elections, and they're going to have a very tough time after that. I hope so, uh, because if if you have to earn your votes and earn the trust of the American people, please show me where President Biden has done that. 
In July, he told us the pandemic was over. Now he's berating us on a daily basis, saying, get a vaccine. I'm going to demand it from businesses with over 100 people to the military where they're throwing up their hands to the medical profession where they say, I quit, even though hospitals overrun. And I told you that I think we were uh, I don't know if we were on the air together, but that study by the Harvard-Harris poll that talked about who was not vaccinated, and it was by a wide swath of people. I think 5 million people took this. Mostly it's working class, high school graduates, and PhDs. Really? So you want to make it, and and African-Americans, only uh, uh, four of of 10 African-Americans, males, have gotten the shot. So instead of just vilifying Trump supporters— can you please look at this thing like a president for a change and not a partisan? And, you know, here's the problem, too. It, it, it's so arbitrary. We have people who are running the country and running universities who are pretending to be scientists, right? I read a story this morning about this woman, a student from the Philippines who wants to go back to Johns Hopkins. She was told last summer that if she got a vaccine and that AstraZeneca would be an approved vaccine, she could go. So she just got the AstraZeneca vaccine. She gets back to the United States to go to Johns Hopkins in September, and she's told, oh, no, Johns Hopkins changed the rules. Now you have to have Pfizer. They want her to double vax on top of the vax that she just got a couple of weeks ago so that she can walk into the classroom. These decisions are being made by administrators, by politicians and people um, people are smart it doesn't make any sense your doctor should be the person who tells you what you need right if you are a 20 year old boy who had covid eight months ago maybe one vaccine is the right amount for you then your doctor should be able to sign something that says this person has you know enough immunity and and one vaccine this is what makes sense for this person Instead, we have this, re- and, and so people are just checking out. They're so tired of it. Done. You know, you've got the San Francisco mayor dancing in a crowded bar because she understands London that Breeze. she's vaccinated and everybody else there is vaccinated. So she's willing to take that risk. That's what we have to do. People have to be able to say, this is what my risk level is. Or when I walk into that same bar, I would like to wear a mask. Go wear, absolutely do it. In the Oval Office, the president, Boris Johnson, laughing yes. arm in arm without a mask. Indoors. They, oh no. Outdoors, Kamala Harris, Boris Johnson so with a mask. Ridiculous. Idiocy. I will look at this. Study some success stories. One of the studies is every Division One college football game, packed stadiums, maskless fans, no surges anywhere. Just talk to Clay Travis about this. He's traveling the country doing stuff every Saturday. There are no surges. So if Fauci ever hopped on and says, I got to study this success at that Florida uh, that Florida Alabama game on Sunday. I, you know, we're tracking them. There's really no problem. Is it because you, did you demand a vaccine? I don't know. Did the did the university demand a vaccine? I don't believe Alabama did. So why is there no surge in that area? And when are we going to realize this thing waves through? It started in the south. If you look at the map, it's getting lighter and lighter and coming north again. It doesn't mean that Republican governors are evil. W- stop insulting us. Back in a moment. It's Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. What's your answer when people say, why does Biden's uh, new federal vaccine mandate have to apply to people that have had COVID, given that they have some protection already? Yeah, it is true. They do have protection. The one thing that we are not aware of yet, and hopefully we'll get that data, is what the durability of protection is. And looking ahead, 
whether or not that type of uh, protection that's induced by natural infection, how that will be against a variety of variants as they arrive. I'm not denying at all that people who get infected and recover have a considerable degree of immunity. We also know, and I think we should not let this pass without saying it, that when you get infected and recover, A, you get a good degree of immunity, but B, when you get vaccinated, you dramatically increase that protection, which is something that's really quite good. Okay, we don't know about the durability, but we know if you cross vac, you have the natural immunity, and then you get a vaccine, it's even better. Do Martha we know McCallum that? here. I mean, what study is he referring to? I don't to? know what he's talking about. I really about. don't know what study he's referring to because, um, and I would like to know if if I'm missing something, I would I would obviously like to know. But but the only large scale study that I'm aware of that studied the importance of natural immunity is the Cleveland Clinic study, which came out in June, which I believe um, was, I think it was about 65,000 people, uh, and they studied natural immunity. And and that study said that they did not see an increased immunity in people who had COVID and then also got the vaccine. They did go on to say that they do recommend the vaccine, even for people who had COVID. But they said that according to what they found, they did not see an increase in antibodies in people who had COVID and then on top of it got the vaccine. And, you know, when he says, hopefully we'll figure out what's going on with natural immunity, it's like, why aren't you doing studies in this country to answer these questions? Hopefully, that's what we get from the head of the Infectious Disease Depart- Department in the United States of America. Every time we talk about this, we go, oh, well, Israel did a study, so let's look at what Israel did. Why are we not doing this? My hunch is that it's because the bureaucracy in the CDC is doing studies that they gave grants for, you know, 15 years ago that they just got around to, and they didn't put a halt to those and say, hey, we've got a pandemic to deal with, so let's start doing really huge comprehensive studies right now. And by the way, with the power of the executive branch could do that because we know it. Because remember, we asked Ford to make ventilators, and they did. And yes. there was 60 Minutes featured, talked about Emergency that, authorization. Brilliant. Yeah, emergency authorization. We paid for it the same way in World War II. We converted our car yes. factories to making tanks and planes. So you could say, I need our all hands on deck for the medical profession. They're not looking to become zillionaires. A lot of them are already very wealthy. We're going to need emergency studies to study the data we've gotten for since 2019. Yeah. We've been able to assemble data. Martha, I, I'd be remiss in my job as um, host of this show if I didn't ask you what's going to be on your show. So we are – I just want to say one really quick thing, though. You know, in, in terms of natural immunity, it's free, right? And, you know, vaccines do make money for pharmaceutical companies. I am not saying it's all a big, you know, uh, hoax by the pharmaceutical companies. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that I think there's no focus on natural immunity because it's free. There's nobody lobbying for natural immunity, Okay. That being said, we are going to drill down on the border and on Gabby Petito, two huge stories that we've been following very closely. And we are going to, we have Janine Piero, uh, who we're thrilled to have at the top of the show, talking about the investigation into where there's a manhunt on for Brian mm-hmm. Laundry right now. And we are going to be all over it. So I, I asked the commissioner of police, I said, what is the deal? Why did they not tail him? Because he wasn't a suspect? And he said, there's no reason for him not to have been a suspect. And what you do is... 
Uh, he said, you have plenty of cause there. You put a loose tail on him. You put a poll camera on the block. You're not intruding on his constitutional rights. It's a public street, and we tail suspects all the time. They also had enough to go up on his phone and have a tracker, not as a listening device, but as a tracker to make sure he is. All within the— Why didn't they do that? I have, I, I don't know, but that's a legitimate police Why? question. I, th- this is so crazy. Why did they not keep it— on? Do you, you remember Scott Peterson, like, before he was charged with anything? He was a person of interest, and they, fought, all they him. fought him all the time time like oh there's scott peterson going to the grocery store there he is getting in his car in his driveway um it it is absolutely bizarre and i think there's a lot of questions to be answered by his parents as well in terms of what they knew and didn't know about what was going on see you three martha see you three from the fox news podcasts network in these ever-changing times you can rely on fox news for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.